0: Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the Science Fiction Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. Uh, usually on Spectology, we read books, we talk about them. Um, today, however, we have a special guest, the author of our last book, Chris Beckett. Uh, so today, we're Chris and I are going to have a little bit of a conversation about his writing style, uh, some of the themes and meanings of his books. Uh, Dark Eden in particular, as well as his newest book, uh, Beneath the World AC. And um, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation here. So I hope that everyone enjoys this. Um, Chris, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit in, in your own words and then we can we can get
1: started? Sure. OK, well, I'm Chris Beckett. I live in Cambridge, England. Um, um, I've lived, lived, um, I originally came from Oxford, England, which is a somewhat similar place. Um, I, uh, have been writing for many years. I think my first story was published something like 1990. Uh, but, uh, books coming out more, uh, somewhat more recently. Uh, my most latest novel beneath the world of the sea is my, uh, seventh novel. Um, and I published three short story collections. It's also
0: worth pointing out, you won the Arthur C. Clark award for this, uh, the book that we just read dark Eden. Um,
1: I won the Clark award for that.
0: And, uh, yes. And
1: I'm very proud of that. Yes.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's (laughs) in very good company there too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, um, you know, we, like I said, we have some questions, uh, before we started recording, we have some questions both about the book itself and then, you and your writing style and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to start off with the non-spoilery stuff and then get maybe a little bit more deeper into both Dark Eden. I also had some questions about, you know, themes across multiple books of yours as well. I just, uh, I just re-skimmed America city for, for Mm. this too. Um, Because that, that's another book. um, You know, I feel like a lot of your books are these books that I think a lot about over time. Um, they, they, you know, just like, you know, I think we mentioned the podcast, like it, you know, Jeff comes up with this idea of like a horse is not just, you know, a specific animal, but a type of animal. Yep. I like that a lot. And I feel like, you know, these books do that for me in some ways. So, um, Yeah, I, I guess uh, one of my first questions is um, because you've written recently a short story collection called *Spring Tide*, which was published last year, which I know is more literary fiction or at least contemporary fiction. Um, uh, previous to that, I think almost everything you've written kind of fits in the broader like science fiction or genre category, and in addition. You know, Dark Eden is it's something that we talked a fair amount about of like what genre is this? We would continuously mm. call it post-apocalyptic, even though there's no specific apocalypse. And then mm. in some ways, you know, America City is there's again no specific apocalypse, but it's also a little bit about the, you know, impending mm. doom of climate change mm. that we're all mm. <laughs> constantly dealing with uh, or not dealing with as the case may be. Mm. Um, And so I'm just curious how you think about genre, you know, both why you work in science fiction and in speculative fiction, as well as how you think about genre kind of from a larger perspective there.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, um, you know, as a writer, I don't, I try, in a way, I try not to think about genre in a sense. I'm just trying to write good books and I'm trying to write them in a way that works for me. And and I think the reason why uh, my books end up being science fiction is I find the the kind of conventions, some of the conventions of science fiction, are very helpful for for addressing a particular kinds of theme I like to write about, and and, and I'll, I'll explain that a bit in relation to Dark Eden, which I think is the best, probably the best example. Which is that this is my rationale for it. If you if you're writing um, mainstream literary fiction, for want of a better word, realist fiction, set in the present time, uh, you if you if you like the whole, you hold the world a constant. The world the world is the same world that we live in, supposedly. It never is quite, of course, but <laughs> supposedly, yeah. Um, but you uh, invent characters and you invent situations in order to uh, explore things that you otherwise couldn't explore. And it seems to me that if you want to explore how a society grows and changes, then you need to start inventing the world and the society as well, in the same way that you invent characters in conventional fiction. And that's what exactly what I did in Dark Eden. I invented I invented a world and a society that was that was evolving from um, a very low base, so I could so I could explore. I could free myself up, use fiction to free myself up to speculate. If I'd written a book about set in real historical time, then immediately everyone would be looking to see would read it as an account of something that actually happened. And I'm not talking about what actually happened. I'm talking about the dynamics and the things the things that go on and, and the interactions and the the way it works, you know, rather than the you know, some kind of, you know, I want to free myself, just the same as in a mainstream novel, you've, you want to free yourself from writing about real people and allow yourself to speculate about imaginary people. It's the same process, but taken to a different level. Um, that's that's what I think, one of the reasons, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why I think I find science fiction so appealing. I think also it allow- another reason which is separate is it allows um, one to bring the kind of uh, your metaphors, into the Mm -hmm. into the fictional world you know so the dark eden Mm -hmm. is dark and that has a metaphorical meaning but it also has a literal meaning and it's rather fun to bring them together in one world rather than just have people (laughs) in the real world talking about how dark it feels do you see what i mean i do absolutely yeah and i like that as well um and also, it's just fun. It's just fun inventing things as well. That's the other thing. About to, yeah, you know, let's be <laughs> Absolutely. honest. Absolutely, know, why not? <laughs> right? No, that is fun. Yeah. Do
0: you? Um, did you have a history with science fiction and genre fiction growing up?
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I often mention this. My, my, my when growing up, my dad was my dad read all kinds of things, most of which I didn't like at all. But he had a he had a whole shelf of science fiction, and I, mm. once once I cottoned onto that, I just devoured the lot. And that is actually the main influence on me of the books i right. read as a teenager because <laughs> uh, science fiction is never quite the same as when you first encounter it at the age of about 15 is it you know it's kind of and that had a huge influence on me you know uh and uh, that stayed with me and uh yeah it's just that kind of that, that sort of wow you can you can invent stuff and, and 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 still use it to kind of talk about real things you know that 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 was that was what really hit me yeah Mm-hmm. And so, when
0: writing *Spring Tide* and the stories in *Spring Tide*, why did you decide that you? I mean, so uh, to go out on a limb, it, you strike me as an author who is very happy to challenge yourself. Like, it feels like a lot of your books, you're you're writing at the like edge of your comfort zone, as opposed yes. to inside of your comfort zone. So, in was that the process of writing *Spring Tide* was pushing your comfort zone a little bit, or was there also something else you wanted to do there?
1: Yeah, exactly. It was that I was trying to. Uh... I thought, you know, well, it, yeah, it's kind of that and kind of not. It's kind of like part of me thinking, and, I do, and you're right, I do I do want to kind, um, kind of um, give myself new challenges and not just keep on doing the same thing. You know, some people say, why don't you write a fourth Eden book or something like that? No, I've done three. That'll do Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, And I need to try something. I need to write something that's not just like a different kind of Eden book, but something different completely. Mm. But, I, but so part of the springtide idea was let me see if I can do without the the science fictional tools and props, you know, without, without being able to have my, my metaphors right. walking around in the story, you know, whether, as I put it, or you know, as long as I say, like, you know, the demons are just in the character's head. They're out in the world in front of them. You know, that's, that's that right. kind of thing. Um, but also I think there's, and also spring tide. I wanted to write some stories that did operate on a more psychological level rather than the sort of, um, anthropological or sociological level. So, you know, I didn't right. need the invented world so much in the same way. Um, and i just yeah and no, i just i just felt the need for a change as well you know so um some of the stories are a bit weird they're not all they're not all completely realist stories but they're not i don't think any of them you could strictly call science fiction you know right Right, so the psychological
0: reality is something you know that I brought up a lot in our post read, and yeah. is something that you know is part of why I like your writing so much. Yeah, is yeah. that you are interested in the character, like each individual character's psychology, um, and i you know I know that you were a social worker previously. Is that right? That you don't still do social work that you are an author full time, or
1: no, no? It's actually some time. I mean, I, first of all, I was a social worker, and, and then I became a manager of social workers. Then I moved ah. into ed- education and became a lecturer. Um, in social work. So it's quite a, some time since I was actually a you know, frontline practicing social worker, but I gave up being a lecturer about three years ago. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I, I still occasionally do the odd tour, but that's it. You know, that's, that's, that's my lot. Right. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, but I suppose it was about 18 years. I was either, either a social worker or, or I was supervising social workers, you know, so that was quite a long time. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, uh, Sorry, your question would be, has that influenced my writing, was it? Or was that your thinking? Yeah,
0: I mean, like both, you know, it it seems to me that it's, you know, Influenced at least the kinds of questions that you're interested in, right? Like Dark yeah. Eden, in a lot of ways, is a story about poverty as much as anything else, right? I think that's some of the post-apocalyptic piece is just this yeah. feeling of like, oh, these are people living in an impoverished state, and like, what does that do to them? Um, yeah. But you know, something else I really like about your writing about poverty is that you know all the characters still have agency, and all the characters still have like a rich psychological life. They're not mm. they're not simple people necessarily. Mm. Um, and so I was kind of curious, you know. To To what degree that is a function of the social work and maybe to what degree you think about, you know, the frameworks of social work and doing, you know, you know, know, essentially psychiatric work with people um, in your writing, if you if you think of your characters in that way.
1: Well, I, I think it's one of those things. Uh, whether there's certainly a correlation between the fact that I'm a social worker and the fact that I write that way, there's certainly a correlation. Though the causal relationships might be quite complicated. I suspect you'll. I suspect the truth is that I chose a certain occupation because I was interested in thinking in that way, and I also, and that's also the reason I write. I write that <laughs> way. You know, do you see what I mean? Absolutely. But I. But I. But I, I will say that. I, you know, I, I think I think you mentioned, uh, in, um, if I remember rightly, in the podcast, you yourself grew up in quite poor background yourself. Is that was that what right. you said? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I didn't. I grew up in quite a comfortable middle class background. My father's a university lecturer, so I have no personal experience of poverty whatsoever. But I suppose. Um, I do have personal experience of two things. I I grew up feeling for for whatever, for all kinds of complicated reasons, I grew up thinking of myself as a bit of an outsider. I was, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't one of the cool kids, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think anyone on this podcast has been so far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's reassuring. Yeah. Um, But, uh, uh, so I, I certainly had that sense of being an outsider, but, um, and, uh, sort of being at the bottom of the pecking order in some ways or near the bottom. Um, uh, and for some reason that had gave me a certain affinity with people on the, on the, uh, uh, the you know, I, I know, I know actual poverty is not comparable with being not one of the cool kids at school. I, of course I understand that, but it gave me a certain affinity with being, uh, in a non-privileged position. And of course, being a social worker has exposed to me uh, to a lot of people who are, who are basically poor. And I think a lot of my more middle-class friends, i.e. most of my friends haven't seen things like that you know they they don't understand that as well as i do i think that's right. the, that's the truth of course i only see it i don't understand it you know i haven't lived it but i can see it. i've seen it that's what i'm saying yeah but right uh, and it seems that you care about the like internal
0: lives of people in that situation as opposed to just their actions which is is
1: that fair to say like the the internal lives of your characters are all very rich they're they're very important to me and I would hate to be the sort of novelist that just writes novels about, you know, I don't know, university lecturers having affairs, you know, that kind of <laughs> really thing. Right. I, you, know, I, I, you know, I want to write about, in fact, I think my ambition, I was listening to you talking about Dark Eden, I think my ambition with Dark Eden was to to actually create the entire world, you know, actually have an entire, to, to make <laughs> to give my vision of the, of an, obviously you can't do that, but that was, my, right. that was my, I wanted to have the biology, I wanted to have the the history i wanted to have the psychology i want to have the religion everything all in one package that was my ambition for that book yeah right and, uh i can't remember how that connects with your question but anyway <laughs> no i think i think i think that's good um, yeah. You know, these
0: questions are in some some way just like uh to get you to talk as opposed to get a specific answer <laughs> okay all right okay um you know something that matt my co-host uh who who can't be here because we're recording during work hours um Mentioned that he was really interested is um you know the the kind of political philosophy of Dark Eden and yeah. the and the other books in the series in the sense of you know like it seems that you know I don't know if you personally do but the books at least um, take this very kind of like view of political change that is very much uh, contingent in a way that is about the individual characters and the decisions that they're making. Um, I'm just curious if you have, and he was curious if you have any specific thoughts about how political change happens. This might also relate to America City, which is also very much about like large-scale political change in in America.
1: You know, yeah, in know why? Yeah, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I entirely agree that I see political change as being contingent. I think uh, I think a lot of I think I would my criticism of a lot of people nowadays would be that they they fail to recognise. I'm, I'm not a marxist but i but i think marx had a point about the kind of the, the kind of the the material basis of a particular kind of society right. the kind of ideologies have a material basis you know the way people feel and think and their political thing uh, arise out of a particular you know means of production a different kind of society and i think we've lost that a bit i think we we now you know if you look at people and kind of on the left or liberal side of things, sometimes it's the, politi- the politics seem to me quite superficial. People aren't people are people are talking about it if It's just if it was just individuals making choices. As in fact, we are the products of our environment and our circumstances. And we, and I think what I tried to show in the Eden books, perhaps in the later ones even more than Dark Eden, was the way that we read, we tell the stories to to fit ourselves into the world and to make ourselves feel justified in our own position in that world you know so that the the uh, the ideologies we have are things that we've constructed to help us um like make sense of our current make sense of our position and and in a way to validate it you know um i think i think maybe daughter of eden was particularly you know it's talked about that quite explicitly yeah so uh that's that's how i see that um but um but i suppose also i see the other thing that i think Runs through my books so I think you did allude in the podcast is that I, I do see. I don't. I don't believe in that. There's some kind of ideal world we're striving towards. I think we're making a series of people are making for good or bad reasons, making a series of pragmatic decisions, often between not very attractive alternatives, like like John Red Red, Red Lantern. You right. know, either stick with a family or break away from family and live in a tiny little group that's separate from family. And either of them are very appealing. You know, I think you, in your podcast, you spoke about pe- the dilemma of people in that society, which would they pick, you know, whether you were a teenager in that society to right. very unattractive. Terms. And I think so much, so much of politics is about making choices between not very attractive alternatives. And, um, and I suppose that's true in America city as well. So my character, Holly, uh, sees herself as, a principal person who's making who's who's making tough pragmatic decisions about who to support and so on and how to do it. Although we might, from the outside, we might see as ruthless opportunist who's behaving <laughs> in a thoroughly immoral way. You know, <laughs> right, right. But yeah. from the inside, she yeah. doesn't see it that, That's another thing I feel very strongly. i dream very few people in the world. I suppose there are a few, but most people in the world do not think of themselves as one of the bad guys. Absolutely. Most people think of they're one of the good guys. Even the people we think are the bad guys think of they're the good guys. And I think that's important, too. And I think I try and do, I try and reflect that in my writing, that people – it's very bad writing if you just have bad guys who are bad guys, you know. I suppose, that, I suppose there are a few people in the world who just revel in being evil, but there aren't very many of them. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're probably not actually very interesting to write about either. <laughs> probably not, no, 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 no. Um, no, that's, you know, and it, it is something that we, you know, I think we talked about a little bit is that you're, you know, in writing this kind of close third person or even sometimes first person as you do, um, it can very much feel at times like, oh, any given character is also like an author mouthpiece Piece. And I don't I don't think that's what you're aiming for. And I'm actually kind of curious how you think about, you know, like, whether there are good guys and bad guys in your novels, or whether there are like, you know, specific characters, you're like, Oh, yes, so everything they're doing is good, as opposed to, you know, Oh, yes, I'm presenting a situation. And like, you actually need to bring your own moral judgments to that situation.
1: That last thing—it's definitely that last thing. I'm presenting a situation. I mean, I'm not saying I don't weight the weight the dice. How could I not? You know, I—I know. I, I, I will, of course, I will put my more weight on the thing, the things I think think uh, I think are important but i very much want people to bring their own moral judgment i very much would hate it if someone read one of my books and it just read as a kind of polemic about something you know as if i'd you know just just rigged the whole thing so that but they'd have to come to a certain conclusion i definitely don't want that and it's it and i and i'm pleased with dark eden that people do react very differently to it you know as to who they see as the good guys and who bad guys now i suppose in dark eden we can probably agree that John isn't a bad guy, but he's pretty flawed and quite selfish. Mm-hmm. I suppose most people say David is a pretty bad guy, but if you read uh, the third book, you realize that nevertheless, you know, people look back on him. Many people look back on him with respect as somebody Absolutely. that held the family together. And, you know, and, uh, and uh, so even he nasty person though, he is may not have been completely a bad guy. He had something that he he did have something he believed in, mm-hmm. but arguably wasn't in its own way was important. You know, and, and he certainly created a society which is just as viable as the alternative one across the water. You know? <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's,
0: it's interesting that the society that John, you know, not to get too deep into the specifics of the book, but the society that John builds is not a happy one right like no. john redd lantern's eventual society is not one that is in you know and i think we mentioned it we talked a little bit about this is like john has an idea of how to break the world and an idea of like there's this major problem that needs solving but no actual like idea of what kind of society he wants to build no. which feels like his major failing yes yes
1: uh well and then you do there are a lot of people like that in the real world aren't they who who want yeah. who want to overthrow what exists and feel very strongly about it, but actually are quite vague about what they want to put in its place, you know. And um, I don't know. But um, you know, the other thing about it is that, I, uh, and I think um, I think this comes from some of my social work training. I try, I do try to take a systemic view. It takes, it takes all sorts to make a world, you know. People mm-hmm. play different roles, you know, and you can't expect somebody to be so super wise they look at everything, you know. So we do have people whose whose function is to break things down, and other people whose function is to hold things together, and you know, and some or other out of all this mess right it comes a <laughs> more or less viable society that most of us live in you know absolutely yeah. absolutely
0: yeah. one thing I I love too in Dark Eden and, and in some of the other Eden books is the perspectives that you'll take I mean in particular Dark Eden uh Sue Red Lantern's chapter of just this 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 image of like a mother kind of in the middle of this like both mm. grieving and also with her own political ends and maybe she's not as astute at getting her political needs met but she like you know also is uses her like place as a mother to like get some of them met uh, in that chapter was a really interesting one and one that seems to I, I don't know I guess maybe I'm asking you know sort of like it seems that in all of your books you try to get multiple people's perspectives both on the event itself but also show how they are influencing the events even while other people don't notice that
1: yeah absolutely yeah no i think i think that's right and um particularly in the third book daughter of eden i very much i very much wanted to take the the camera off what some might say was the main action. There's all that. There, I mean, mm-hmm. it's okay to do spoilers here or not. I won't talk about the ending of door of Eden. I'm talking about the the setup, really, which is that yes, the, 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 There's a kind of war happening. I don't think I'm giving very much away to say that. But I'm but I'm looking at the war not from the point of view of the combatants, but from the view of the people who are fleeing from it, basically. And I think that that in many ways are the more important people in a war, actually. You know, right. Well, it's a, that, it's a that's, larger
0: group of people in a war usually than those actually. It's a usually fighting.
1: a larger group, and they're the people who are bringing up the kids and keeping things going and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. waiting for the combatants to calm down and go away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I I, Absolutely. How, I wanted to write it like that rather than from the perspective of combatants because I think you know that. So that kind of I think that kind of links with your previous point. <laughs> no, um, I think it does. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so the the another question I kind of had about you know, there does seem in both Dark Eden and America City, John Red Lantern and Steve Slaymaker have a kind of similar like journey or arc or like theme to them where both of them are these people who see an immediate problem about the like amount of resources in the world and then, you know, want to break the world and move people. In yes. order to like save them. And yeah. I'm curious, you know, given that this is a theme that's come up multiple times, if that is, I mean, it feels like something that you think a lot about in terms of like where we're currently at with climate change and sort of like maybe get your feelings on like, is that actually what you think needs to happen? Is that what you think like will happen? I'm, I'm, I'm digging a little bit more into like you personally here than just the books, but I, you know, it feels like this theme has shown up in multiple places and I'm
1: really curious about it when I constructed John Red Lantern as a character, I was trying to construct somebody that was in some ways a very different from me. I'm by nature, not a doer. I'm by, by nature, a thinker, you know, and, um, and I admire people who just get on with it, you know, but but that's (laughs) absolutely because I'm just not me, you know, I I can always say, Oh yeah, but what about this? What about that? You know, kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think there's a place for people like me, but there's also a place for people like them. And I wanted to, wanted to, with John and I really wanted I, you know, my my kind of brief for myself was to have somebody whose instinct was to do. And uh, I think he says quite early on, you know, that um, uh, I'm always going to I'm going to I'm going to always try and think what in the long run will be the best thing to do rather than think about my immediate short term feelings. I'm just going to go ahead and do things. And um, and uh, so he's like that. And, and of course, Slaymaker is, as well. Slaymaker comes from a very poor background. He's um, built up his own business. Um, uh, trucking business and he's also by nature a doer and he's a very bright man slaymaker he's not particularly well educated but he's bright and he uh um his instinct is to is to uh, cut the crap and get on with it you know that's his that's his instinct i mean i quite like slaymaker actually i like you know i know he's a, a right-wing president, but I actually quite like him as a character. As a, you know, I think if I met him, I'd find him quite engaging. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, but, uh, but he's, a, he's the opposite of me, you know, not only in his politics, but in his um, this instinct to always be doing and making and getting things done and let's cut the crap, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and let's not worry about the complications, you know. Uh, right. uh, you might be interested to know that I started writing America City after Mother of Eden. Right. I was actually just going to ask about this. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I'm going to write a third Eden book, so I set it aside. But it, the actual relationship, which I think is between Slaymaker and Holly, I think in my mind is quite similar to the relationship in Mother of Eden between uh, Starlight and Firehand, the old, mm. uh, the old, the mm. old, the old ruler of um, uh, New Earth. She, she immediately feels an affinity for this powerful, steely-eyed, right. tough doer. And uh, in both cases, that the, the, the there's a sharp, ambitious young woman feeling a, a strong affinity with, even though she doesn't like him exactly, with a, <laughs> with a, with a sharp, a, ambitious older guy, you know. And uh, right. for some reason, that uh, so there's a kind of thematic link between those two books. Which uh, so in my mind, Firehand and uh, Slaymaker is quite uh, somewhat similar.
0: Oh, that's that's actually really fascinating. I hadn't thought of that, but that that makes a lot of sense i was i was also curious just you know i i in doing some research for this interview um i noticed that on your blog you would mentioned a novel slaymaker that you were writing as early as 2013 and when i wrote america read america city you know it was 2018 i think you know well into the trump yeah. presidency and all this stuff and it feels like there's this kind of like like when I read it, I, I, I was under the assumption like, oh, there's some amount of like, you know, you saw Trump running for president and, you know, like in the Republican primaries, no. maybe even. But I'm no, he's, t- he's fully. Yeah, I,
1: I'd, I'd fully invented Trump and his, um, ele- his electoral <laughs> strategy before. Not, not Trump, sorry, Slatemaker. Right. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the weird part is that I find, I feel if I'd invented Trump, I would have thought, no, that's going a bit far, you know, I would have thought right. that's, that's, that's not plausible. You know Right. I, I well, you know, like, you
0: put you put him like well over a hundred years in the future to make it.
1: <laughs> yeah, <reasonable>. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I just thought Slime Maker was a more. Uh, convi- I, I find Trump a less va- convincing human being than Slate. <laughs> <laughs> so I think reality, you know, has kind of dealt us a bit of a, you know, a bit of a crap storytelling. Yeah, I you mean, know?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely feel that on a daily yeah. basis. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That, uh, so that's really interesting. So, so, and also, you know, I was really curious because one of the things about that book is that Holly is essentially, you know, a member of Cambridge Analytica. She's a, essentially one of these people who like really yes. thinks deeply about how social. media media can yeah. affect the way people think and how you can, you know, change the way people think through social media. And, um, so I'm curious, like, you know, at how early on you saw that happening and like, like, were there any particular events that kind of like led to the writing
1: of that? No, uh, and that's another thing that's interesting, Adrian, that while I was writing it, I, w- I was aware – w- of course, when I was writing it, I was aware of the Trump campaign and I was aware of what different candidates were saying and so forth and the kind of mm-hmm. – the way people are manipulating, you know, are making use of um, – People's fears and saying different things to different audiences and all that kind of stuff. Right, right, and that's as old as politics itself. That's as old as politics is. itself. But a lot of these uh, social media things in the story, I kind of made. I kind of made up when I was writing the story, and then later on I found out, mm. oh, they do actually exist. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> it was odd, you know. And that's that, that's happened to me a few times with writing, and I kind of feel that the, the thing is that if you think of something that that is vaguely plausible that could happen. And it would be to someone's advantage. Then it will happen. You know, it will right. happen. You don't have to be a genius of prediction. You know, you just you just you just know, <laughs> think it's vaguely like plausible. It will happen. You know, so, you know, Holly was doing all this kind of targeted social media stuff I was only dimly aware of it at that time. I think we've all become more of aware of it since the uh, the. I mean, of course, in, we also had the Brexit vote, of course, in 2016, which was which was obviously closer to home for me. And uh, and I had there was all that going on there as well, and the and the kind of the way that debate polarized and so forth. So I was thinking about that too. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to ask um, one more question about dark Eden, um, because I didn't get to it earlier. And, um, then a couple of things about your writing process. I, I, you know, we had Kevin had a few questions about that. And then I Mm. think that's about it. I have for questions specifically, but, um, for dark Eden in particular, um, I was just really curious, like why teenagers? Um, I, you know, I mentioned this, I kind of love stories about like teenagers blowing up the world and, you know, sort of like rebelling against their parents. Um, especially in this like really big kind of way. And one of the things I appreciate in that, you know, dark Eden is that they're teenagers. So they're immature and maybe like, don't fully think Mm. through the consequences of their actions, but they're still very smart and they still like have theory of mind. They still think about other people and can think Mm. strategically, Mm. Um, which is, you know, I feel like oftentimes books will either write teenagers as fully adults or as children who don't think at all mm, mm. um so i was just kind of curious like why why did you choose that as like the main characters all being teenagers more or less and like what was it about that in specific
1: well i mean first of all to say that in many respects the society in dark eden is kind of a pre-modern society in some ways isn't it mm. i know it's supposed it's not pre-modern but it, it, it functions like a pre-modern and uh, and of course the concept of teenager doesn't really exist in those kind of societies in the same way you know so that that, that, that i think that they, they call themselves new hairs, but they but they're um not quite like what we'd call teenagers, and uh, so uh, there is that. But I guess I just I guess I don't know. I, I don't know. It just seemed like uh, teenagers tend to tend to want to uh, you know that's a stage in life where you tend to want to overthrow the old order and make your make your mark isn't it so that's what i that's all (laughs) i was thinking nothing more complicated than that really yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah. um and then so uh kevin uh our, our guest on the last episode had a um question about how long the themes and ideas in dark eden um like how long you were kind of thinking about them before you wrote the book um and like where they came from
1: dark eden which I, I suppose in many ways, I suppose it may may always be my most complex book, I, I guess. But there's a reason for that in some ways, in the sense that it was brewing for maybe 20 years in my mind, you know, as long mm. as that. Yeah. OK. So that you mentioned in the podcast that there's a story called Dark Eden, which is the sort of prequel to the novel. But actually, there's an earlier story called The Circle of Stones, which I wrote in 92, oh. published in 92. Uh, oh, wow. It's a kind of very um, sort of... Um, early prototype of the central store the central event in Dark Eden and also an early prototype of the of the the, the four characters uh, John, Jerry, Jeff, and Tina. Although they're different mm. in the story, they're much more brutal. Story is much more brutal and violent. <laughs> <laughs> um, than the book. But um, and so I so that That's idea saying kept... something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it's uh, that. So that so that was published. I was saying published in I think '92, if I remember correctly. So that you could, that gives you an idea how far back it was that I was I was uh, this idea began to marinate in my mind mm-hmm. and I've, I've said this before but I'm, i may not have said it to you that uh the, the day when i the, when i wrote that story i still owned one of those amstrad computers you know with the black screen and the little green right. letters do you know the things? Right. Do you, i yeah, don't know yeah. actually that's i think they were british product i, I think, think there's
0: uh, we we had like the apple 2es which were very similar in a lot of ways yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah um uh, and i think maybe part of the uh, the original idea may have come from looking at that screen, the little shining green letters on a black field, because that's like oh. that inverts the normal page in the same way that Eden yep. inverts Earth. Do you see what I mean? They're normally on Earth, the trees are the dark things and the background is light, but in Eden, it's the other way around. And I've got a feeling that it that may have crept into my mind, given me the idea. <laughs> I, I can't prove it, but I've got a feeling that's that part of the idea for Eden. But um, but also at the time, I, I was very struck by the idea of that sometimes. I think it goes back to a question you were asking me earlier. Sometimes, a uh, an act that is violent and transgressive and selfish it may be necessary in this world, you know, to make things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what struck me at the time. And uh, so that was the core of the original story. But if I can, if I've, if I can put my uh, hands on a on a. Thing, I'll, I'll email it across you open because you might be interested to see it. Great, no, I'd, I'd love if, to read it. You have to yeah, bear in mind it's not a prequel it's a prototype. Yeah. Absolutely absolutely yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah.
0: and then this is also sort of like a question and I think this goes to you know sort of like all your books but as as you're writing like how do your like kind of final versions of your books surprise you or change from your like initial plans from them do you, do you map out stuff a lot or do you kind of like write and like let the characters take you where it
1: makes sense. uh well no I don't, I don't map out very much at all I mean I my I, I think I'm a very slow writer in many ways because I just can't I just can't invent plots from from cold I have to just I just have to let them develop and then you know mm-hmm. shape them as they go along you know so that lots of my books have been through a very tortuous process before I arrive at something that, that resembles a plot, you know. So uh, uh, Daughter of Eden, for example, particularly, I just could not get into it. And suddenly I got it and, and it, it just came pouring out at me. But, you know, it was just like a case a battering on a brick wall till it came, you know. Uh, Dark Eden was one of the easier books to write. But then that, as I say, the idea had been marinating in my head for a very long time in some way or right. another. Um, so, so that
0: way it was 20 years to write
1: as, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I don't, I don't, I'm not someone that can plot things out in detail. I might have a sort of rough idea of the overall story arc. I did with dark Eden, have a rough idea you know what was going to happen in a very very broad sense but not not all the characters and everything i invented them as i went along you know characters like david even weren't weren't in my mind oh. started you know and gradually they just appeared and all the various minor pairs and Mehmet and things like that all appeared as mm. that one you know and uh, as you say they took a life of their own on the life of their own which of course is rather magical for for me as a writer to think <laughs> yeah you know, this this character is going to become important you know and Absolutely, I can see this guy is jealous of John, and that's going to have consequences. You know that kind of thing. You know, right, yeah. right. Mm. And um,
0: so do you too? Uh, you know, I know you just published a novel, um, beneath the world to see. Yes, but you know, I'm I'm I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I my Hardcover copy is like shipping from England oh, right, right now. Okay, I yeah, yeah, yeah. But um I, you know, I I'd be curious for you to like, you know, because so I don't have any like smart questions about it, but maybe you could, you know, ask yourself a smart question about it and answer that.
1: Okay. I'll try. <laughs> Talk I'll about try. it a little um, bit. Yeah. Um this is a very weird novel and it's a it's a bit like I described it, Daughter of Eden. It took me a very long time to get into it. I was, again, that sort of beating on a brick wall and suddenly I found a way to tell the story. So it was going to have a more of a conventional science fictional setting to start with. You know, I was going to set it on a different planet and set it in the future and so forth. And I suddenly thought, I just, I just don't want to do that. You know, so in the end, I, I thought, sod it. I'm going to set it in um, uh, well, the recent past, actually, uh, in and set it in an imaginary place in South America, you know to hell with plausibility and all that you know and um and and it's uh, it's said it, it concerns uh the main protagonist arrives in this place which has a number of odd psychic properties you you, you have to pass through a, a zone where once you're through it you don't remember anything for example when you when you mm-hmm. get there and then when you're inside this 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 area it's com- the, the biology and everything is completely different from the rest of the earth. It's like, um, it is like a, an alien planet in all, in all uh, intents and purposes. And it messes with your head. It, it uh, it, it opens up your mind in a way that's different from your normally experience. And there's particularly a certain type of creature there that when you're in its presence, it really does break down the barriers in your mind. So you, you start experiencing things that normally you suppress, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. thoughts you normally suppress. Um, And so the story involves, uh, there are people that live in this area and that they're, I suppose in some ways they're a bit like Eden people. They're people who've been, been left to their own devices and had to accommodate living in this strange world, which is psychically disturbing with these creatures that are very, very unsettling that keep coming up. Uh, The forest reason for the part of the reason for the title is the forest is over and uh, water. uh, There are holes in the forest. You can, things can come out from underneath the forest from the water. Mm. um, and uh, so, pe- the people who live there have made a kind of ad- adaptation to living there. But the people who come in from outside, people who come in from our world, so to speak, each come in for their own reasons and, and have their own reaction to what they find. Some people find it very frightening. Some people get almost addicted to it. You know, the people have different reactions. And right. it's about that. It's much more. It's much more psychological. Um, it doesn't have a very. Um, it doesn't have a kind of conventional plot in the sense that we don't suddenly discover at the end what it's all about what we you know what what this world really is or anything like that it's not really like that but mm-hmm. it's about people coming to this strange place and what it does to them and how they interact with one another does that make any sense it does yeah <laughs> i mean i think so
0: <laughs> i'm i'm very much looking forward to reading it and um you know might uh, might tweet you a couple of questions because yeah, <laughs> i'd be very interested to hear your reaction yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and um is there anything or any questions that you know you wish i had gotten to or anything along those lines um let
1: me clear up one thing for you yes extraordinary meeting extraordinary as extraordinary general meeting yeah
0: okay so i was right it, it took me three you were reads. right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: nobody gets that nobody gets <laughs> no, that <that's> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> it's like
0: all the others were so clear in the first series i was like i don't know what this is and then i i It came up like I saw it for the very first time the whole time. I know there's one word in here I don't know. And that one popped up and I was like, extraordinary. Like, I got it. Like, immediately, like this epiphany. I felt very proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Great.
1: So, um... No, I am just trying to think with your discussion yesterday. Um, I mean, you know, you you haven't asked me about it. I mean, you could ask me if you like about the kind of... uh, You know, some of the things in the book uh, have been somewhat controversial in the sense that um the, the the treatment of the sexual violence in the book the way it mm-hmm. treats disabled people and the fact that it seems to show a patriarchal society re-establishing itself those three things have all been controversial right. to some degree among some reviewers you know i don't know if you want to ask me about any of those i'd be very happy to to
0: yeah i'm, I'm actually i'm curious about your your thoughts about those three things um in some ways I felt like in our discussion, like I I, I feel like, they like I feel comfortable with all three of them, which is why I didn't specifically ask yeah, you about yeah. them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I am I am curious how you thought through all three of those um elements, you know, and I think in particular I've always been, you know, you you one of the characters like calls out in the book that this is the establishment of a patriarchy from what used to, you know, be yeah, a place yeah. where essentially yeah. the women held most of the power. So that seems to be something you were actively thinking about while writing
1: the book. Yes. Yes. Well, Again, you know, it's like you have to allow your um, your intuitions to guide you to some extent when you're writing a book. So I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. see that happening when I started writing a book. But mm-hmm. my uh, – again, I go back to what I said before about um, the material conditions in which different ideologies arise. and And it seems to me that it can't be just a coincidence that patriarchal societies arrived at – originally appeared on every continent on earth, you know, hopefully we're we're moving past that now, hopefully, but they have, they have appeared on every continent on earth, all in different forms and to different degrees. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, Japanese society is the same as I don't know, Inca society or something, but they (laughs) are all patriarchal societies. And, and, uh, and I had, and, and I played with the idea right in the book that Eden, to start with it called their people and the society calls itself family and it still is a, a kind of massive family to start Absolutely. with and that's why I um to start that in my mind even though men may be the titular heads of families in many societies women do actually run families you know right all right. over the world and that's why the, the, the it even became a um, not completely matriarchal because they were, it wasn't like exclusively women, but it was like tended to be women running things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my the idea that I played with was that once the society splits into two and there's a conflict, there starts to be conflict between different parts of that society. Men might get an edge in that situation because they, right. they're, they're physically stronger, and so forth, and things like that, you know. So that that, mm-hmm. that was my that was what I was playing with the idea that. Um, in a in a in a society with a number of competing units then men might m- a more patriot patriarchy might be more likely to arise that was what i was playing with there. but right. but i but i but i think and i think you pick up you picked up on this already adrian i think that the, the difference one has to be in my case i'm not trying to um provide role models for my readers or, or to say this is how things <laughs> ought to be i'm trying to it's right. i'm trying to explore and, and describe the world as I see it, uh, for, with, with all its flaws, including violence and patriarchy and, and all these other things. I'm not trying to say I think they're good, but I'm saying they have. Uh, and uh, so that was that's what was my I was thinking. But I'm not saying my theory that I've just expounded to you is I'm necessarily offering to you. <laughs> but that's how, it seemed, that, that's how it seemed to work when I was writing my book. You know, that that, 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 mm-hmm. that somehow John, and it felt, it felt plausible to me that John and David was suddenly come to the fore once... Once John had opened a little crack and then suddenly a kind of anti-John arose as well in the form of David, who hadn't otherwise previously been uh, any particular kind of leader at all. And suddenly they became a kind of two rival patriarchs, if you like. Right.
0: The th- you know, the thing that that reminded me of is <laughs> I've worked in tech startups for most of my career. And one of the things that, you know, beyond just like the matriarchy to patriarchy element was... As family was small, there was very much this like consensus based decision making process. And Part of what you're seeing as much as like the gender dynamics there is that as groups get larger, like making decisions based on consensus gets harder and harder and harder. Yeah, yeah, and this is yeah. a process that a lot of startups go through as they get bigger, yeah. where early on, you know, sure, there's a CEO and there are office managers and there are, you know, low level and high level employees, yeah. but a lot of decisions get made together in big groups. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can do that with a, five- or ten-person startup in a way that you Mm. can't with a 300-person startup. Mm. And often you see the kind of emergence of, you know, different kinds of hierarchies in these Mm. startups, um, some of which are social and some of which are, you know, like org chart, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) right? Mm. Um, And those Mm. might be the same and they might be very, very different. Um, And in particular, I think the startups that do well are those that consciously think about all these different puzzle pieces as they're doing it and like implement yeah. that hierarchy with intention, as opposed to being afraid of it and letting it happen. Uh, yes, you know. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I suppose in Eden, it was things were arriving and uh, happening in a much more haphazard way, really, because nobody right. thought nobody sort of consciously thought we need to redesign our society. In a kind of, <laughs> you know, in
0: sort of, yeah, right, right, kind of, yeah, 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 right. Well, Angela um, and Tommy weren't thinking like, oh, we need to teach them about democracy now, so that in a hundred years they'll be able to, you know, implement it. Well, <laughs> well I suppose
1: they were not. What well, they were trying to think about that, but you know, it wasn't going to, you know, I mean, one of the things <laughs> one of the things I was it interested me about that whole scenario is that you each generation can only pass on so much to their kids because the kids only take so much from their elders, you know, pick up what they mm. choose to ignore and what they choose to pass on to the next generation, you know? Um, so that's one of the things that really, I kept, I found interesting in there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the, you know, the, the, yeah. the sexual assault and you know, the way that kind of, you know, cause I, I mentioned it sort of like works yeah. out in a lot of different ways in the book. Um, just what your thought process on the like different ways that you both depict it as well as like, just it's there in the society and the way that like society, you know, in some places like recognizes it mm, as bad yeah. and other places doesn't. Um, and kind of like why that well, choice I'm, was made. You know, again, I, think I go I back to,
1: that. I'm not trying to p- depict an ideal society. I'm trying to pick, a, 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 if you like, a realistic, and I, I don't mean realistic in a sense that realistic is the only thing we can aspire to, but I mean realistic in the sense that it's a depiction of the way society hitherto has been, you know, and um, again, I guess my social work background has mm-hmm. perhaps given me a slightly jaundiced view on this, but unfortunately, you know, not the nasty the more nasty or coercive Mm -hmm. or confused aspects of sex are are around all the time and not and my not entirely you know unknown in my my own family history either so I kind of um so I just wanted to I wanted that to be part of I, I, I didn't I wanted to reflect the fact that in Eden there has been a generation where incest was the only way of going forward that I, I I always thought that was the plot hole in the Bible story. You know, what happened in the gen, the third generation after Adam and Eve? You know, yeah. How did the third generation arise? You know, right. it's a bit of a plot hole. And I thought well, I'm going to address that plot hole. They've had they've had, so the, the people in Eden have been brought up, being told, their forebears have told them, incest is wrong, but you must do it. That's that's the that's what the Tommy and Angela must have told their kids. Right, must have told their kids, because otherwise there would be no other kids. Well, actually, there would be, because they would be, because be, the kids would do it anyway. But you know, what I mean, but, you know, that's that's <laughs> right. that's the situation they would have to accept. And so the kids were given a massive double bind at the beginning of their beginning of their history. They were told, "This is bad, but you must do it." Um, right, and so it's and sort of like the collective that, trauma of the that, society. Uh, the trauma of that goes, in my mind, runs through the whole uh, the whole society of Eden, and, uh, and of course, it reflects the kind of Christian theology in a way of original sin and so forth as well. You know, yeah, it's another thing we didn't pick up so much in your discussion that I was thinking very much of the original Eden story. You know, as the writing you know, the idea right. of um, you know, uh, a, which is a, the idea of a fall. From, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but I find these stories powerful all the same you know the, the idea of a fall from grace you know and um mm-hmm. uh people being expelled from paradise you know because of you know and that uh, of course the people in eden have been expelled to Eden, not from it but so, <laughs> right well that's the dark element yeah, right yeah the, but the uh, you know but i was thinking about that and, that and i wanted the eden people uh, the eden people have a very much a sense that they they're exiles from something mm. they wanted to be, you know, and I, and that's a that, that I did get from the original or from my idea of the original story, you know? Yeah. Right. And that, and
0: that really shone through and, you know, I, and I mentioned this in the podcast, the, the, the way that. You know, they don't necessarily conceive it as a religion, but the way that the like myths and the religion of this of the society is one that's very much based on like, well, you don't have what you need now, but you like will have it uh, in some yes. sort of, you know, yeah. kind of like afterlife future. Yeah. Whatever that looks like to them. Yes. Yeah. Um, And that, that was really, you know, again, like I, I had a very religious upbringing and that mirrored very well, the kind of like Christianity that, that like I was brought up in this idea that, you know, sure you might not have what you need now, but like, if you're good, you can have it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And like the, you know, one of, I think John's kind of like clear things is, is like, fuck that. I don't need to be good to have it. Like I deserve it anyway. Like we all do, like we deserve to have a life that is like better for us, which is, you know, I think the kind of, um in so much as there's like a nobility to what he's doing like that that to me feels like it you know i I guess to your point the sense of like you know way he's being selfish but also that being selfish is actually like what that society needs to do as a whole more than it is yes
1: yes um but different characters reach a different accommodation of that uh so angie red lantern and um Daughter of Eden reaches a different accommodation in terms of how she relates to those old stories. And uh, I know right. some readers don't like that, but it's a different accommodation, you know, and um, and I, I'm not going to say which is the right one, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. No, well, I mean, I, I really like depicting
0: both of them because yeah. it, you know, yeah. it, it reflects a reality of the different ways people kind of um, – relate to these stories like the stories don't just exist they're also a relationship that we have to them which is more important than the like you know words of the stories yes
1: yes exactly yeah 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 Okay. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this discussion. It was, you know, fun to to meet you in person here. Uh, you know, and so much as Skype is in person. It's, it's great to meet <laughs> you,
1: Adrian. Know, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your. Um, I appreciate the fact you appreciate my book. It means a lot. That's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My pleasure. Like I said, I can't. I can't re- wait to read more here. And um, you know, we'll 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 keep in touch. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye for now so that was our interview with Chris Beckett, uh, Arthur C. Clarke award winning author of Beneath the World to See, uh, Dark Eden which we just read on the podcast America City, Mother of Eden, Daughter of Eden uh, The Holy Machine and I think Marcher, one more that I'm forgetting Um, thanks as always to WJ for our music which you're hearing now outro the podcast, Uh, thanks to Noah Bradley for our cover artwork Um, you know Thank you to Chris. Uh, great to talk to him. Uh, that's been really fun. And uh, thanks to Kevin and Matt, who, while they couldn't be here today because of, you know, cross, <laughs> cross Atlantic time zones, uh, uh, helped me write some of these questions and, you know, give me ideas to what to talk to Chris about. So we will be back in two weeks with our pre-read for our next book, which is going to be Anne Leckie's... Uh, the raven tower uh our first like straight up fantasy novel um so we'll be talking with the two jennies of reading the end about that novel here and yeah uh really looking forward to that thank you everyone for sticking around this month as we read dark eden and talked about it i hope this has been enjoyable for everyone and you know looking forward to the next one Bye bye I'll admit, I always feel slightly terrified when authors listen to what I've said about their work <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, you're very
1: kind about mine, so don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, no, was, I, I, you know, I really appreciate how into my book you are. It's, uh, it's very touching. We're very, very pleased. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think I, you know, I first read it not too long after it came out in the states here, because I know it, it had a couple yeah. of years before it did, and. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember, I had you on the, the uh, like Reddit book club that I used to run. I
1: remember. I do. Remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so,
0: you know, this like podcast book club is a little bit of an outgrowth of that being like, well, I'm oh, kind okay. of sick of having to talk to like other people about it. I'll just talk with like one or two of my friends at a time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.